Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and pretty guardians who fight for love and for justice. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we cannot get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Vic Whitley-Berry. You might recognize my name because you often hear it at the end of the show, in the credits. I'm one of the producers of this show. And today, I'm getting behind the mic to talk about something very near and very dear to my heart, anime. Including the group of friends who helped kick off my love for the genre, Sailor Moon. Later on in the show, I'll be talking with journalist and video essayist Princess Weeks. She's an anime fan like me and the perfect person to talk about what gender has to do with this media. And let me tell you, gender has so much to do with it. So one of my first memories of watching anime, my spark anime, if you will, happened when I was in grade school, probably second or third grade, maybe. I was sleeping over at a friend's house, and she had this really cool older sister who was in middle school. So, duh, we wanted to be a part of everything she was doing, and she didn't want anything to do with us. We were staying up late, as is the law for sleepovers, and we snuck into the living room where my friend's sister was watching Toonami, which at the time was kind of like Cartoon Network's version of late night TV. Now, Toonami was really the place to go if you wanted to watch anime before there was streaming. And she was watching this show from the 90s called Inuyasha. Inuyasha? Shouldn't we be staying? Should we? The villagers, they think Jinenji's been eating people. You know they do. Maybe he is different, but that doesn't mean that he's guilty. But that's what it does mean when you're different. Nobody trusts you. You're always the first to be blamed, and it is always, always your fault. This show completely captured me. It's about a modern Tokyo girl who gets sent back hundreds of years in time and meets the antihero, Inuyasha. I had never seen anything like it before, and I was especially drawn to Inuyasha. Who is this boy? Teen? I'm not sure. I loved his long white hair, though, and he had this big sword that he fought with that I guess had powers. I mean, he definitely had some kind of magic. Apparently, he was a half-demon. Oh yeah, and he also had ears. That was really all I could remember about the show before my friend's sister kind of kicked us out. Apparently, this show was, quote, too adult for us. But I could not get this image of Inuyasha out of my head. I had never really seen a show like that before, especially not an animated one. In the U.S., animation is primarily used for children's content. That in spoofy sitcoms like Family Guy and Bob's Burgers. I mean, no shade to those shows. I also enjoy them, too. But what I mean is, the options for animated entertainment in America are just limited. And that is not the case for Japanese anime. Broadly speaking, there are two different types of anime and manga, which manga is the Japanese comic books and graphic novels that much of anime shows are based off of. So first off, we have shonen, which is manga and anime marketed to boys. 
and shoujo, which is marketed to girls. And with these two broad categories, there are tons of subgenres. We have high fantasy anime, drama anime, comedy, slice of life anime, romance, cooking competition shows, sports anime. You can even find porn. Basically, if you could think of a genre, there's probably an anime about it. As I've become more of a fan of anime as an adult, I've really come to notice all the different ways gender gets played through this type of media. I especially found this true watching shoujo anime, or anime that's marketed to girls. Let's take Sailor Moon again. Within both the original manga and the two anime adaptions of the story, we have this couple. Their names are Sailor Neptune and my favorite Sailor Guardian, Sailor Uranus. Both of them are femmes. Both are canonically in love, regardless of how the English translation basically bastardized their story by making them cousins when the show originally came to the States in the 90s. Which, gross. I mean, can you imagine telling this to your cousin? A world where kids never grow up? But if you don't reach adulthood, then you can't enjoy life's pleasures. Isn't that right, Uranus? I simply cannot imagine an American animated show, especially one from the 90s and early 2000s, showing flirting like this between a couple that isn't straight. And honestly, this little comment from Sailor Neptune is pretty tame. There are a ton of other examples where anime and manga have played with relationships and gender in ways that American media don't, especially animation. And I'm not the only one noticing these differences. Since I first watched Inuyasha a decade, or two, ago, anime has shot up in popularity in the U.S. This is thanks in part to streaming, so viewers don't have to stay up late sneaking in on their older siblings watching Toonami anymore. In a 2020 survey, nearly 30% of U.S. adults aged 18 to 29 reported viewing anime regularly. So as more Americans are becoming anime fans, I wanted to talk to an expert who cares about this stuff just as much as I do. When we come back, we're going to be talking with journalist Princess Weeks about all of the ways anime pushes boundaries when it comes to gender and relationships and in the ways it can hold us back. Don't go anywhere. Hey, Waves listeners, if you're loving the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. And while you're there, you should check out our other episodes, too. One of my favorites from this year was when guest host Kat Chow interviewed journalist Rachel E. Gross on the sexist history behind naming the female anatomy. We're also recapping The Golden Bachelor, which comes to its dramatic conclusion this week. You will not want to miss it. So have a listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. 
Welcome back to The Waves. I'm Vic, and I'm joined now by YouTuber Princess Weeks. Princess, welcome. Thank you so much for having me back. This is really exciting. So, Princess, before you joined, we talked a little bit about my Spark anime, which was the first piece of anime that really made me become a fan. And so I, of course, need to know, what was your Spark anime? So my Spark anime is always going to be Sailor Moon. It was before I even knew what anime was. I think it just was so different from how I'd seen girls on TV, especially like that big ensemble. Um, I had missed, you know, Jem and Shira by a, by like a couple years. So it was the big series growing up where I was like, Girls who were super powerful, but also very feminine. Um, but then also tomboy, shout out to Sailor Jupiter and Uranus. And so it was like the first super femme queer experience I'd had with the show. And I think it's been like my, it's like imprinted on my spirit. And so like, no matter how old I get, I'm like, it all comes back to Sailor Moon. That like fills my heart up so much because Sailor Moon is also I returned to Sailor Moon more as an adult as I started to like really watch anime. So like that also and Sailor Uranus is really big for me. Um, But I would love to know a little bit more of how did Sailor Moon and that first encounter for you for anime really have an impact on yourself as a fan of the genre and yourself as a fan of media period? Well, you know, I really think that Sailor Moon to me has always been like my North Star in terms of like what I like for characters. And each incarnation of it is so different. Like the anime is so different from the manga than from the live action show that we never got a proper distribution for here in the States. Uh, still, still mad about that. But I think Sailor Moon for me really emphasizes the way that like women and femmes could lead a series and become really popular without having to sacrifice any of the traditional markers of femininity. Like they were allowed to be hyper femme. I think while the anime didn't often go as far into the non-binary identity of, of Uranus, I think that even when I would read the manga, it was so like shocking to me to have like this very queer character exists so forwardly when you know here in the states we're just slowly getting to that kind of representation like even the way they describe uranus is like not entirely male nor female in like the 90s is just like wild to think about and i think it always gave me a really deep respect for the messed up and like but yet very queer and femme-focused nature of shoujo especially shoujo in the 90s where you had people like um Yu Watabi, I apologize from saying that name wrong, um, who I believe came out as non-binary in the last couple of years. And they did um, Fuji Yugi and series um, The Celestial Legend. And just, I, I really loved how those shows were allowed to be dark and just un- unapologetically female-led in what they did. Especially because I feel like Shonen takes up so much conversation and it's so male dominated in, and not just the fact that it's like, you know, male leads, but that the female characters are truly awful, like half the time. For a little bit of context, shoujo and shonen are like the kind of two broad categories of anime and manga as well, where shoujo is the overarching audience is like tween girls, younger girls, and shonen is the overall audience of tween teen boys. One of the things about anime that when I tell people who haven't really watched it before is like the U.S. 
animation is pretty siloed here. Animation here is like either exclusively for children with quote unquote children themes or it's like slapstick goofy sitcoms like Family Guy and Bob's Burgers. But the thing about anime is that basically any sort of genre that you can think of, there is an anime of that genre. I am very compelled by how animation can take on those different forms of genre and be really expansive and creative on it in ways that, like, frankly, a a live action form of a show really can't. As someone who's been watching, um, who's been a fan of anime for a while, how has the perception of anime, from your view, kind of maybe changed or grown here in the States? Well, it's definitely grown into a major enterprise. I mean, like, I remember people saying that during the pandemic that Crunchyroll was doing numbers because people were just binging so much content. And I think as an American Black person, I really think that the Black community as well through sites like Hypeland and through, like, the way that we have also infused, like, a lot of the streetwear aesthetic into anime has been a really big thing. I think for all intents and purposes, I think that Naruto really broke a lot of barriers even though i fruit fruit baskets technically broke a lot of those barriers first but it gets less um attention because it's a shoujo but i think naruto because it's been on for so long like it was on when when we were young when we were kids and you know something like that or something like one piece which when i was 14 my sister tried to get me into one piece and now her daughter <laughs> is into one piece and it's still not finished because that's how powerful One Piece is. And I think that because of like social media as well, and especially TikTok, TikTok and anime has like a really great relationship because people are like that AMV culture that used to be on YouTube that no longer thrives there is now on TikTok. And I think that, you know, more audiences are finding each other and it's just a lot less stigmatized. I think that it started with Ghibli, I think showing that like a lot of this work could be very like high quality and getting awards for it yeah it got nominated for an oscar and i think also like our generation of people are now creators so you have shows like adventure time very anime inspired the new shira um the owl house so you have a lot of those creatives who were inspired especially queer creatives who saw themselves in things like Card Captors and Sailor Moon and Revolutionary Girl Utena are now making art that references that. You know, Jordan Peele talked about in Nope being inspired by Evangelion. And, you know, he he, he homages the um the Akira bike slide. So a lot of this is sort of like also our generation that already appreciate anime now getting to make work and get funding and putting our anime nonsense into it. And we're, of course, going to get really deep into this, but I would love your initial thoughts of particularly when it comes to gender. How would you compare anime's representation of gender and relationships, particularly like women and femmes, compared to other animated media? Like what comes up for you? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think that like as a Westerner, we kind of assimilate what we're seeing into how we put our politics in. So I just want to put that as a, as a disclaimer because I'm sure that like in Japan, there might be a different context for some of these gender presentations. But so in the West, going back to like one of my OG crushes, Shishomaru from Inuyasha, I remember just being blown away by like how beautiful he was. 
while still being presented as like totally masked. Like you have this long flowing silver haired guy carrying a boa with like natural shadow just completely snatched. And he's like one of the most coolest characters ever. There's almost a drag-like quality to the way that he appears. Like if someone wore that to RuPaul's Drag Race, I'd be like, that fits in perfectly. Um, And I think there's a lot of very masculine characters that followed it up as Shonen Light, which was also just very much as a little baby bisexual, like, why do I love all these pretty men so much? I don't understand. So I think, you know, we we talk a lot about the way in which men dressing up as women, especially black men in this country is like rude and a lot of like sexist sort of like massage noir tropes versus I think like this, you know, discussion of like men who wear dresses. I think even in Inuyasha, there's a, there's a character, I think name, maybe his name Jokotsu, and they are, I believe they identify as male, but they present and dress as, a, as female. And that was treated, they were presented in like a really cool way. They were like part of this team of bandits. They had a best friend. There was no like gay panic about like that character. So there's a lot of those things that I think would be interesting because I think it's been evolving for a long time. But again, I think it's also important to recognize that just because we do see these things in, in Japanese media does not necessarily give us a full insight into what it means to be like queer in Japan. You know, we're seeing a lot of this, like really these like revolutionary queer things here and they seem revolutionary to us because of what we are comparing it to. But I think it's just important to remember that like LGBTQ rights in Japan are not the same there's not a lot of legal protection for a lot of LGBTQ people in comparison that what we might feel. And it's getting better, obviously. But I do think it's important to not allow ourselves to kind of like fetishize uh, that representation as inherent of like what it's like for a Japanese queer person. That that context is very important just because you can see it more uh, like gender expansion and queer representation and anime doesn't necessarily translate to what it's like to be a queer person there in Japan. I don't even believe that they have same-sex marriage in Japan as of yet. And there's a lot of, like, even though they do allow the right to change your legal gender, you have to undergo surgery. I believe you have to be unmarried and have no children under 18. So it is it is still sometimes, at times, a, conser- a very conservative country in that regard. And I think that you know, the art and the way that it plays with gender is interesting that it comes out of that. But then again, we are also a relatively conservative country and we still have RuPaul's Drag Race. So it's really like art is necessarily um, legislation. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to dive even deeper into how gender plays a role in anime and anime fandoms as a whole. And if you want to hear more from Princess Weeks and me on another topic, check out the Slate Plus segment. This week, we're going to be talking about a deep cut from Princess's YouTube page. And it's all about shipping and fandom and all of the stickiness that comes with that. So please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like no ads on any Slate podcast. You won't hit the paywall on the Slate site and bonus content for shows like this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash the waves plus.
Welcome back to The Waves. I'm Vic Whitley-Berry, and I'm here with Princess Weeks, and we are going to continue our conversation about anime. And anime has really been an eye-opener um, of just how like the possibilities of both gender and gender presentation can have. And we talked about Sailor Moon, and I want to dive into Sailor Moon even more because it's spectacular. A little bit of background, uh, Sailor Moon is a 90s anime and manga. It's currently being revived right now in partnership with Netflix a little bit. It's being reanimated. When we meet Sailor Uranus and her girlfriend, Sailor Neptune, they're iconic. One of the things that I remember hearing is Sailor Neptune basically saying that Sailor Uranus, or her public name, Haruka Tenno, has both the strength of both a man and a woman. Please, don't look so sad, princess. Honestly, I didn't mean to confuse you. (sighs) Uranus is not one gender or the other, she is both. As a sailor guardian, she possesses the strength of both a man and a woman. (sighs) In the language that I would use, it's like this might be like bi-gender representation or like gender-expansive, gender-nonconforming representation. It really astounds me in such, like, a good way that... I mean, Sailor Sailor Moon is targeted for girls, for teenage girls. And, like, to have a, a, a show for teenage girls and femmes that is both so honest about a queer relationship as well as one of those members of a queer relationship being more gender expansive is really awesome. We can talk about this relationship or just like how anime has specifically taken on LGBTQ plus representation in your view through its entertainment. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, Uranus and Neptune is really special to me as it is to many, you know, young queer kids. I think that the outer scouts are like this amazing polycule that, um, I wish I could just snuggle myself in. Um, but I think Uranus especially is really interesting because their relationship is like, especially when you watch like the Japanese anime, is like so very clear and explicit and like deep. They would die for each other, but they're also really devoted to this like sacred mission. It's really compelling. And I think with Uranus especially, people talk about like they're genderqueer, um, they're non-binary. And I think that all of those things can absolutely be true because of the language and the ambiguity that it was written within. But I do love the way that in certain shoujo, when they'll have kind of like this very like mask, tomboyish character, all the girls are like absolutely simping. Like one of my favorite things about Utena is that like everyone, all the girls are like in thrall of Utena because she's so tough. I I love that aspect of it. I think that anime and queerness is hit and miss. In a lot of ways, I'm still deciding how I feel about it because, you know, as a queer woman, a lot of Yuri really sucks. Like it's like, it's, it's not, it's not the best. And for those who don't know, um, Yuri is the genre of Japanese media that focuses on intimate relationships between female characters. All right, continue. Yes. There is this element sometimes of you kind of feel as if the reason why it's sometimes more present and they get to kiss more is because it's kind of treated as like juvenile. 
as if like yeah you're just expressing yourself yeah it's okay for like girls to like kind of same idea like when you when you're like bi people are like oh yeah well like you're gonna play around in college and just have a good time there is an element of that that i've seen in certain series and then just like a layer of like really toxic tropes i think one of the most popular yuri's that i've seen is it's called citrus and it's kind of bad and just as a side note um citrus is a manga where the protagonist goes from really hating her stepsister to developing these like confusing romantic feelings for her yeah it's like girl i did not ask for all of this like it's too many too many tropes on top of tropes for me to really get down with it and i think that like it a lot of the good stuff happens like in the background because i think it's also important to remember that like in sailor moon uranus and neptune are like a side relationship although i do very much think that's that yusagi herself is very bi-coded oh yeah and and like she has like kind of a crush on uh sailor uranus and then like the very last season with uh the sailors like the starlight i'm getting too deep yes i'm getting too deep into it but yeah i totally see what you mean so you brought up, I love that you brought up the um, different genres that really are more open to leaning into LGBTQ-like characters. And I, while you were talking, I kind of just realized that like a lot of the, I don't want to say like good versus bad representation, but a lot of the more open to nuance representation we often find in shoujo anime and shoujo manga which is again geared for girls i do think it's an interesting idea that it seems like a part of anime that makes it more digestible to have not straight not cis characters it feels more quote-unquote passable in a subgenre of anime that's marketed for girls and femmes versus the anime that's marketed for boys and like the quote-unquote adventure anime. I find that to be interesting. I think that, honestly, Shonen in general has a massive romance problem in general. Like, all of their big couples are very much like, and we put them together at the end. They're not very well-developed. They're not very good. Uh, so, like, I think that expands to, like, the queer couples as well. When it comes to Shonen, it just, it really sucks at, doing any kind of romance in general and part of why i think there are such big queer fandoms around characters like naruto and sasuke or any of these other two guys together is because they only get really good development with like their male rival or like the other men there and their perspective so it comes across as very queer because like this is the only person that you're interacting with like you're not you spend more time with sasuke thinking about sasuke than you do hanada so why would i be interested in that and i think that's the other aspect is like because it's four boys and they de-emphasize romance in general you get a lot of like um homoerotic subtext you think you see it's a lot in like neon genesis evangelion um there's a huge uh queer subtext between shinji and another character there's also apparently a queer couple in attack on titan but like they're not really that big into the series so it's like again they're either on the side or they're in show <laughs> <laughs> right anime is not unlike other media where we where it will lean into tropes that are crank frankly like not the best and 
cringy at best. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about how, especially when it comes to like gender and relationships that you have seen where anime has more leaned into the taboo. I would love to talk a little bit with you about examples that come to mind for you. Even as someone who isn't as, you know, vigilant about age gaps, there is definitely in anime, you'll see a lot of like, significant ones and i don't even mean like in a supernatural context like clamp is kind of infamous for like the teacher student dynamic multiple times in the same book and it's like guys we really got to talk about this is <laughs> like it's, but i think it's interesting because i was talking to a friend of mine is like even as a kid i was like that's weird you know like it wasn't as if i saw that and it was like oh that's idealistic i was like oh but like she's 12 and he's a teacher like that's not appropriate. There is a lot of sort of, I don't really know my feelings, but I'm in a lot of dubcon situations that force me to feel how I feel, which I saw happen a lot in in Citrus, which was like a big turnoff, as well as the like, you know, the Steph siblings, that's one bridge. The the added that was a bridge too far. You know, it was already like, okay, I don't even really want to go cross over here. And those are kind of like the big ones that I that I see that are like really sort of frustrating when it comes to like queer relationships the biggest ones the biggest one that i sort of like have a big issue is 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 when it's treated by certain people as juvenile when it's sort of treated as like oh like you're just having fun and and it's it's sort of like downplayed in significance until like the very end i also cannot stand the perpetual edging of like we're not going to actually comment about what happens i i really cannot stand that like i want I don't need people to have labels, but I do want, if I'm being sold, like this is a a love story between two people. I want to see the love. I don't just want to see perpetual angst. And I think also would be when there are characters that cross-dress, and I don't even want to call them inherently trans because that won't be the language that's used. And they are often still portrayed by male voice actors. And so I I would hope that if they really were trying to present them as trans, they would correct that, especially in more modern dubs. But I do think there is sort of like a weird, not a weird, but a, I don't know how I deal with the, with the conflating of drag and transness in certain series. I know in like Fruits Baskets as a character who is born male and like constantly wears kimonos and I believe still keeps a lot of like the the the, pro, the pronoun usage is like still kind of wonky in terms of how they, they talk about these characters and when it comes to the dub those confusions are usually not smoothed over they're kind of just more emphasized so i would like for there to be as it changes in japan for there just to be more conversation about like okay if we are going to be adapting this anime what voice actor should really be getting these kind of roles that to me makes me a little uncomfortable at times. We have dived a lot into different parts of anime that we love and parts about it that we are that we have complicated feelings about. And I feel like if we haven't convinced anyone to at least try anime at this point, I would love to get your sense of um, if there is someone, if you meet someone that is like thinking about getting into this media, what would you say makes it special? Where would you tell them to start? In a lot of ways, it depends on what they're interested in. But I would say if you really just love a really strong, for example, if you liked Barbie, try Princess Tutu uh, because it also deals with like gender and fairy tales. If you liked Oppenheimer, maybe try 
Steins Gate, which also deals with kind of like a scientist figure dealing with time period. As you said before, there is something for everyone. And I think that if you come into it with an open mind, you will get a lot more out of it. And if you come into it, just sort of like prepare to criticize it. I love Sailor Moon, but I'm always reluctant to share her with more people because she means so much to me. And when people like reduce her to be like, oh, she just gets saved by her boyfriend all the time. I'm like, that's not true. That's slander. I will sue on behalf of her estate. I say like there's something for everybody, but if you want to start with something, if you really want to guarantee they're going to be in, start with something like Akira, um, Perfect Blue, which are like excellent films, Studio Ghibli for the kids. And then when they're ready, when they have reached peak, you know, wokeness, they can then look at Sailor Moon and appreciate her glory. Princess Weeks is a journalist. She covers culture and fandom and a bunch of other cool stuff. Uh, You can find her work on her YouTube channel. Just search her name, Princess Weeks. Princess, thank you so much for joining the waves. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun to talk about. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by me, Vic Whitley-Berry, and senior producer Shana Roth. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. You can follow my work at my website, victoriahartwhitley.com, or on Twitter, or I guess we're calling it X now, at underscore Tori Whitley. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different host, different topic, same time and place. 